0: delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town.
1: Welcome to episode 73 of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs. This episode begins a two-part series with Wildcat great Cotton Nash. Originally from New Jersey, Cotton Ash grew up loving baseball and having big league aspirations. It wasn't until Cotton's family moved from New Jersey to Indiana that another Wildcat legend would help shape Cotton's career. Cotton Ash's family made the move from Indiana to Texas, but the multi-sport athlete had one issue preventing him from playing basketball in Texas, but somehow Cotton's dad was able to fix that issue. We'll hear about Cotton's recruitment and how he ended up playing for Coach Rupp, and he will take us through his career at Kentucky. That includes a game against a big rival in which Cotton almost didn't play in. In addition to basketball, Cotton also played baseball and was a member of the track team for the University of Kentucky and was eventually drafted to play both in the NBA and in the majors. Cotton will tell us about the transition from basketball to baseball and how it affected him. And then we'll go cruising with Cotton Nash and Pat Riley later on. Coach Rupp said if he had his choice of one man in the country to build his team around, it would be Cotton Nash. Cotton built a heck of a career for himself at Kentucky. It's Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs, and his guest, King Cotton Nash.
0: Cotton, where's your cigar at today? You're known as a man with a cigar.
1: Well, I left
2: it out in the car. You want to go? Can I go get it?
0: Well, you can go get it. Just don't light it up. (laughs) How's how's things going these days?
2: Well, I'm I'm grandfather, of course. I'm trying to keep up with my uh, eight grandkids. Six of them who live here in town. They're all uh, three of them are still active in sports with uh, softball, baseball, basketball, and. I am a pseudo Uber driver. Oh, is that right? <laughs> for, can we can we request you? Well, I <laughs> wouldn't have any time for you because, <laughs>
0: because of my kids. <laughs> oh, so you're
2: just a pseudo driver uh, for uh, for your grandkids? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, practices games. Uh, whenever I'm needed, I, I get the call, and you get it quite frequently, I'm sure. Uh, you better believe it. Let's go back in time a little
0: bit. Uh, Charles, Francis, Nash, but no one ever called you Francis around these parts.
2: No, that's was my middle name, yeah. Cotton. My given middle name, yes, correct.
0: And how did that come about?
2: You know, that was a strange story, but uh, when I was living in Jeffersonville, Indiana, I was playing in the Little League there, and uh, these, this town at the time, uh, the sports writers didn't have anything else to write about, and they covered Little League baseball is about as well as everything else they even put the box scores in the paper the, they wrote up the games each game uh, all the time and uh, those sports writers actually when I was 11 and 12 years old there uh, gave me that nickname because my hair was so blonde and when they wrote it up uh, when I had a good game they called me cotton <laughs> cotton top
0: you yeah. know you, you know you
2: still got pretty good shade of uh, blonde hair now yeah, I do, I do, and it's uh, it's still mixed in with some silver now. <laughs>
0: uh, let's go back to your childhood. Born in New Jersey,
2: that's correct. Yeah, uh, large family, small family. I was born in New Jersey, right across the river from New York, Jersey City, and uh, the uh, no, I was. Um, we had, I had, a, I have one sister. That's it, and my father worked for Dupont Company um, in New Jersey. We uh we started out there in a uh three bed or in a one bedroom uh efficiency apartment on the third floor walk up and that's where I began my life. And we were just always uh, baseball players, baseball fans. There was no other sport there for kids. I Dodgers mean, or Yankees. Dodgers or, Yanke- or Dodgers, Giants. Giants and Yankees, yeah. They were they were the big three right across the river. In fact, uh you could almost—I could see the Empire State Building from where I lived. So uh, that was my passion growing up: baseball.
0: Uh, how long did you live in New Jersey before you moved to Indiana?
2: Yeah, well, I was there till I was about ten, ten years old in New Jersey before moving to Indiana. That's right. So. Uh, at the time, my father was transferred from uh, his job in DuPont Company to 1, Indiana. We all had to pick up and leave because it was a better opportunity for the whole family. And uh, I stayed there until my sophomore year in high school. Played under Cliff Barker in basketball. When I got to Indiana, they had this new sport that I wasn't used to. It was called basketball, and uh, I was just a baseball player for that's all we did in New Jersey. They had this new sport uh, called basketball, and I, I uh, was more or less pushed into it because of my. I was pretty tall for my age, and started didn't start playing till I was in about the sixth grade. And I remember one game we played against this other team. And the final score was uh, three to one. <laughs> 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 so. Uh, I wasn't that proficient at the sport because I wasn't used to it. I didn't know how to play. So. Uh, and, but I did play up in, in Jeffersonville, Indiana, under Cliff Barker, who you know who he was here at Kentucky, one of the fabulous five. He was my coach. And I was a starter on the uh, high school team as a sophomore, and we were pretty highly ranked in the state at that time. What Did you
0: adjust to life in Indiana – pretty easily coming from New Jersey, or was that a little bit of a culture shock?
2: Well, of course I, I moved quite a bit. And, uh, as the story goes here, and as I tell it here, I've ended up playing, uh, uh going to three different high schools in three different States before I graduated and when came here to school
0: in, in Indiana, Jeffersonville across the river from Kentucky
2: and uh, from Louisville. Yeah.
0: I mean, Louisville. Yeah. Mm. The, um, uh, The time you spent under Coach Barker, were you aware of any of his, other than being a member of the FAPS, were you aware of him being in the war before he played ball or not?
2: Oh, yeah. We were all aware of that, of his background and his experience and uh, playing for for Rupp at Kentucky. Yes, we were. What
0: kind of influence did he have on you?
2: Oh, tremendous, tremendous. Up until that particular time, uh, my sophomore year in high school, I wasn't – a very good basketball player, and uh, he is the one that, that got me going, taught me the fundamentals, how to play the game, and uh, what to think about, and uh, use my instincts to, to, to do well.
0: Uh, were you upset that you were have to move once again?
2: Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, I played uh, that whole sophomore year in basketball. But my father had already moved to Texas, where he had been transferred again. And, uh, he, but he left, uh, left us there so I could complete the basketball season. But as soon as that was over, we all moved to Texas. I enrolled in a Texas high school uh, down in Orange, Texas, right outside of Beaumont. And when we got there, I was, uh, it was in the spring, so I got to play on their baseball team. So I, was, I played high school uh, baseball that year for Orange, Texas. But before the year was over, my father found out that the Texas high school rules prohibited me from playing football or basketball unless I laid out a year as being a transfer from another state. Oh, That was the Texas high school rules. So my dad said, well, I, I just can't put up with that. So he went over to Louisiana, which was 35 miles away, in Lake Charles, uh, across the border. And he found a house there we could rent, and he moved us all after the uh, after the high school se- uh, season was over that year, into Lake Charles High and Lake Charles, Louisiana. And I enrolled in Lake Charles High School, where now I was eligible to play any sport, and that was my third high school. <laughs> so uh, like I said before that was three high schools in three different states
0: by the time you got through at Lake Charles you were a scholastic coach All-American and a parade All-American
2: that's right that's right but they're there again, there was another culture shock when I moved across the board. They only had one sport that they were interested in, they and that wasn't basketball. And it wasn't baseball; <laughs> it was football. Yeah. So I said, "Oh my!" Did you gosh. play any football? Yeah, of course. I played uh, played my last two years there at football. And I what uh, position? I was a tight end, and uh, some games I played D back and defensive end. And uh, so, were you a three sport guy then? Well, the funny part of it was in uh, in our high school, the emphasis was so big on football that they didn't even field a baseball team in the spring because they wanted all the football players to either play spring football or go out for the track team and stay in shape for next year's football season. So they did they didn't field a baseball season. Wow! So I went out. I was on the track team that year, and I went. To, I uh, took up the discus and the shot put. And I ended up winning the state championship two years in a row in the discus and set the school record and, um, then played football and played summer baseball in the summer leagues before uh, I graduated.
0: So at what point in time did you start thinking about college sports? I know you first love baseball or it seems to have been yes, from the beginning, yes. even to this day, maybe. Yes, yes, for sure. And, but when did you start thinking about college and was baseball front and center or basketball, or did the sport itself have something to do with which one you ultimately decided to do?
2: Well, there was, the, the point was that my father, he couldn't really afford to send me to college unless I got a scholarship. So my best bet was getting a, a basketball scholarship and i um i had pretty good seasons there in lake charles i my junior year i averaged about 26 27 a game in my senior year 33 or 34. i was getting recruited and in those days they had no restrictions you, you could go and visit any college anytime for as many times as you, and i was I was just going every weekend somewhere, man. You, I was you, having a good time. <laughs> I was going, they flew, uh, John Wooden flew me out to Los Angeles two times. And, oh, I visited uh, Michigan State. Well, I was really impressed with that. And uh, I was really impressed with the University of Maryland. It had a beautiful campus there. I almost Who was coached oh, there at that time? Oh, gosh, that's a good point. Uh, I'm not, I don't recall, but uh, they were very impressive. Um uh, Notre Dame, several ACC teams. One that recruited me the hardest was uh, UCLA and uh, John Wooden, and they called me every night at home in Louisiana. One of the assistant coaches would call me and discuss everything, and it was hard to did turn them down. Did you get to meet Sam Gilbert? No, I didn't. I don't recall ever meeting him, no, uh, but I knew he was the big backer there. But the funny thing about it was, as it turned out, this was 19— 64, or not 64, but uh, 60, 60. and as it turned out, uh, my first, my senior year in Kentucky was the first year Wooden won his first national title, so he really didn't need me after all. (laughs) (laughs) So, so um, how did it come down to selecting Kentucky? Well, what happened was, like I said, I was going every weekend this one summer, and I was going – I was getting – sometimes I would get picked up by a private plane and flown over to the campus and then spend the weekend flown back. Um, But uh, it got to be August, actually, in my – after my senior year. And uh, my father came up to me one time. He said, I know you're having a good time. He said, but (laughs) school's starting here in September. I said, don't we have to make a decision here? (laughs) And we finally discussed it, and I felt like if I was going to play college basketball, I, I wanted to play in the SEC. And at the time, of course, the only the best place to go for that would have been in, <laughs> here, which I did. So that's and then that's and
0: a, this was probably the best arena by far in the SEC at that time. Oh the yeah,
2: yes, it was. It was probably the biggest one too. Yeah, it held the most people. What kind of a sales pitch did Coach Rupp put on you? Coach Rupp actually flew to uh, Louisiana, had, had and he didn't do that often. He he had my mother fixed him a nice supper. Harry Lancaster flew down there also separately, and uh, he uh, he came down. And then several phone calls. You know they kept up with my uh, my spring uh, track season and my baseball season before I came up there. and um, and then we also. Uh, uh, our whole family drove up to Lexington for a visit and uh, before then. And then after, like I said, my father said, Hey, school's starting in here a couple of weeks. <laughs> he said, I quit having such a good time. <laughs> and so I finally decided to come up here. <clears throat> 1960.
0: You come to campus here, your freshman year. Back then you don't play varsity ball. You just have a freshman team, right? Um, what what was it like playing on the freshman team, and what kind of a, how did you get acclimated to campus life?
2: Well, it it was fairly easy. Um, uh, I, <laughs> I didn't have much help along the way. I remember my father; he was so busy. He drove up, drove me up to to the campus from uh, Louisiana. He dropped me off. Uh, we pulled up at Hagen Hall, which was a new dormitory at the time since demolished though uh, I had one suitcase and a hanger bag and he dropped me off gave me a hug he said I'll see ya I got to get back to work so he, <laughs> he drove back to louisiana that same day or at least halfway and uh, I checked into the dorm and uh, started my my career here at kentucky
0: the, the freshman year uh i guess you obviously practice against the varsity right right i um, did what kind of competition was there that that freshman year? Did you was it about what you expected?
2: Well, yeah, it was you know it was definitely a step up, a degree more intense, and a lot bigger players, uh, stronger players, and it was a more physical sport. Yes, uh, we had a good freshman team though. We had some good recruits, and we we held our own with the varsity that year and went in our scrimmages, and then we played a. a a freshman schedule, I've forgotten how many games, maybe just a dozen or so games against YMCA teams and uh, junior college teams.
0: Most uh, of them were not home, weren't they? Yeah,
2: yeah, prior to the varsity games, yeah. And uh, then we'd uh, shower and dress and watch the varsity game after that, yeah. I remember because I was just a couple
0: of years behind you in high school at the time, but that sophomore year, Cotton Nash was going to be the – leading to the promised land. Uh, most
2: popular man on campus among the females. Well, uh I didn't have <laughs> I wasn't looking around that much. I had too much to do. I was like my um uh, curriculum at the time, uh at the suggestion of my father, I was taking a pre-med course and all the prerequisites for that. So I had a really tough uh, academic schedule too. So I didn't between the uh, practices and the of course, I was playing baseball too at Kentucky, and uh, I didn't have much time for uh, social life.
0: What was it like going through the SEC? Finally, your sophomore year, you're, you're traveling all over the country. Uh,
2: did you did you travel mostly by plane or bus or um, mostly? We traveled as economically as Bernie Shively would let us. <laughs> he he didn't like to spend much money on us uh, now you know in contrast to barnhart uh he likes to spend he likes to lavish money on everybody but uh the uh, yeah we busted any time we could from on uh, short distances and then we had a we took a uh, one of these old jalopy planes to um uh, to some of the other ones that were intermediate flights but uh Rupp really didn't schedule many far away games he he really didn't i don't know if that was for economic purposes or what. Right, but uh, probably <coughs> went to his
0: salary if he didn't have to spend any travel
2: money well most of most of the uh, the uh, non-conference games uh, were were the teams came in here to play and we had a ruthless non-conference schedule we'd play big 10 teams play acc teams uh, we play uh, west coast teams And uh, they, uh, in contrast to today's schedule, when they play, of course we didn't play as many games at all. Um, You hardly ever went west
0: of the Mississippi River for anything.
2: No, correct, correct, correct. But uh, now I'm looking at this. There's one schedule. Yeah, we played Southern Cal. We played um, St. Louis, Baylor, uh, Temple, and then I remember we played uh, North Carolina twice, home and home. Uh, th- those were the uh, pre-conference schedule uh, games. They hadn't
0: learned the word cupcake back then, had they?
2: No. <laughs> Gee, I mean, you were pretty well seasoned by the time you got to the conference schedule. <laughs> you had some tough day. And then we played Notre Dame every year at Freedom Hall during the holidays, and they were always a tough, tough game. W-
0: would you say the Notre Dame rivalry was as big as a Tennessee rivalry, or which one? Would- that would; Those would have to be your two big ones, wouldn't it?
2: In those days, uh, yeah, the Tennessee, uh, we, those were fiery affairs. <laughs>
0: and that was with the arrival of Ray Mears, if I
2: remember correctly. Yes, it, it was. Ray Mears, he uh, instated a lot of.
0: He liked to run around on unicycles and mm-hmm. uh, hold the score down as low as he could. Yep, yep, he did. And try to get into Adolph's head.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, and so did Babe McCarthy down at Mississippi State, too. That was another game. Were, were, were you on the team uh, the year that they put the skunk under the bench? That was the game that Babe McCarthy brought his team up here, Mississippi State, played us at the Coliseum. We uh, The game started. We got the opening tip. We went down and missed our first shot. They got the rebound. They came across the 10-second line, and their guard put the ball under his uh, arm and just stood there. And he stood there, and he stood there, and uh, no clock, no, no shot clock. And he stood there, and then all of us looked around and uh, looked around. We were wondering what the heck was going on here. Well, he stood there for two, three minutes. So finally, rep, you know, it took kind of took rep by surprise too. So finally, he told us to get get it going, and press him. So we finally did, and um, so. Um, as as it turned out, they did that the whole game. And, and uh, the score ended up something like 49 to 45. And we were averaging almost 90 points a game at the time, maybe even more than that. And uh, then after the game, that was that was the skunk game, yeah. The
0: uh, Your freshman, your sophomore year, your first year playing, uh, right out of the gate, your top – Single game record of thirty eight points you had against uh, Vanderbilt. Uh, pretty impressive
2: night that night. I was uh, had one of those nights where you, 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 the the basket looked like uh, oh like a uh, ocean. I mean, all I had to do was throw it up there and it went in. <laughs> Sometimes you have those kind of nights.
0: Well, you had nine of them your sophomore year. that where you scored thirty or more. I mean, yeah. and then suddenly you were you were you were the star of the SEC.
2: Yeah, I had I had a good sophomore year. You're right, very very good.
0: Uh, your Notre Dame game, you had 31 points. You had 30 against St. Louis. You had 35 against Wake in and Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. You had 31 against Vandy, 30 against Tennessee, 30 against Alabama, 30 against Auburn.
2: Wow, I didn't I didn't realize that. <laughs> I got a. <well, laughs> Did anybody ever double team you? Well, to tell you the truth, we played the style of ball where you couldn't you couldn't do that very well because we just brought the ball up so fast, and there was like two three passes, and then the ball went up in the air, and we shot the ball. And, we, and our philosophy was outscore the other team. And even Rupp, in an interview one time, said he was asked what his secret to success was. And he, he said, he pointed up to the scoreboard. He said, it's not that tough. I just want more points on this side than the other side. <laughs> so
0: that, that first year that you played Washington ball, you ended up 23 and three. You were ranked number three in the country by the AP and UPI lost a tough game to Ohio state. What do you remember most about that game?
2: That game we played in the regional final, up in uh, Iowa, I think it was Iowa city and I was averaging 24 points a game. And, uh, we played, um, Ohio state with, uh, uh, Mel Knoll, John Havlicek and Jerry Lucas on the team and Lucas, I mean, uh, Havlicek held me to 10 points under my average and they won by 10. So, that was a game that, and that was a game and, and Bobby Knight got in the game finally in the oh, last couple minutes. Yeah. Did he score? I don't remember if he scored, but the game was out of, out of reach by then, you know? <laughs> so, uh, it was, it was down to the last minute or two and he, he finally got off the bench and into the game. Uh,
0: you, you had phenomenal stats all across the board your sophomore year, and then you're coming back for your junior year and, uh, uh, Kentucky ends up, uh, uh, having some tough, tough losses that year. I think you were 16 and nine.
2: Yes, that was, um, that was a strange year for my junior year. Uh, what happened that year <clears throat> to me personally was I sustained a deep stone bruise in my heel and as the season started and there was no relief from that other than, uh, the, uh, the solution to it was you just had to take a couple of weeks off. And, and stay off of it. Well, it has at the, the season already started, so that that wasn't possible for me. So we tried everything. We tried the, the trainers tried to put these sponge donuts on my heel. They tried to uh, pad it some way, and they even went so far as to inject me with Novocaine in the in the heel in some during some games. And this thing bothered me my whole junior year, and I think I. Ended up um I was averaging twenty four my sophomore year, I only averaged twenty. Well your your <laughs> your shooting
0: percentage was the lowest of your three years that junior year. Oh, for course. Which sure. yeah, led I, to your stone from, from your stone bruise.
2: Yeah, I was hurting that whole season, yeah. And uh
0: well, were they were 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 trainers back then, did they understand injuries sometimes when maybe they can't just look at something and say, ah, tough it out.
2: That's probably the last statement you just made. (laughs) It was probably more apropos for the training philosophy in those days. Yes.
0: (laughs) Uh, That was a season two where you lost the nine games. But my goodness, I'm looking at these. There was a three-point loss, a (coughs) two-point loss, and a one-point overtime loss, a overtime loss, a four-point loss, a four-point loss, a two-point loss. Only two losses. We're over five points.
2: Isn't that something?
0: And, yeah. I mean, that, that's that got to be really demoralizing to a team.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I attribute that a lot to my heel, that uh, I really wasn't 100% the whole season.
0: Now, you, you played a number seven West Virginia team in the UKIT championship. Mm-hmm. You won 79-75. Tell me what you remember about that
2: the The only thing I remember about that is, as I do the every UKIT uh, tournament, we won, and they brought some excellent teams in here. Um, we won, and Rod Thorne was the uh, was the big star on the West Virginia team. So uh, they were tough. They were tough, and uh, um, in fact, Jerry West was in there a year, a couple of years before that with his West Virginia team. Uh, I was before I was, uh, I got to play. So we, this is another example of the, uh, pre-conference schedule. We played the tough, tough teams. We played
0: the, the, the season winds down and what people today don't realize the millennials is that you had to be off the doggone good to get in the tournament. One team per league went into the tournament. That's right. That's right. And, uh, eventually it got up to two, but you were long gone by the time it got up to two teams per league.
2: Right. Right. It didn't expand the, the, the brackets up until later. Was it
0: 24 then? I think it might've been
2: 16. I believe. Yeah. Okay. I believe it was 16. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then your senior year comes up and a lot of people were expecting a lot of great things that year. And, uh, you, you get off to a start and, uh, there are so many stories from that team. Uh, First of all, you, you go to New Orleans, you're playing in the Sugar Bowl tournament in a very, very small gym, if I remember right. Were you there?
2: No, oh, but okay. I've, I've seen it, but I wasn't okay. there.
0: I wish I were there. I mean, I should have been there. I was a sophomore in college at that
2: time. Okay, day. well, that was a significant event in several ways. First of all, um, we ended up with uh, Duke in the championship game, and it's always a big deal when Kentucky plays Duke, for instance. And we came out on the floor. And oh, wait a
0: minute. Just before you get to that part, okay. you've got you've got to tell me the story and get me straight on this because there's a story that's made the rounds for years is you almost didn't play in that tournament. That you had some relatives and friends, and they were having a difficult time getting tickets
2: to get into Well, Well, this, this was um, my father was uh, at the time. Had been transferred again, he, he was uh, with the, his company up in Massachusetts. Well, he, fi- he took some vacation time, took my mother and my sister, and drove down from Massachusetts to New Orleans to see the Sugar Bowl tournament, which uh, he really wanted to see that. Plus the fact that we were off to a 9-0 and start for the season. We were undefeated up until that time. And uh, they got down there, and I went up to um, to Harry.
0: Coach Lancaster.
2: And I asked him for uh, my family tickets for the tournament. And he looked at me and said, no, we don't have any. We don't have any. So I said, <laughs> well, I explained to him about how my parents had made this 1,500-mile trip just to see, uh, see, see the tournament. And I said, uh, I need some tickets for them. And he said, "Well, I don't think we can get well I don't think we can get any." And I said, "Well, I kind of got a little rankled at the time, so I said, "Well, if they can't go to the game, I guess I'll just have to watch the games in their motel room with them." So at that afternoon, um, uh, our team always ate and then went up to rest for the night game up in the, uh, in our motel rooms. Well, about an hour or two later I got a knock on the door and uh Harry was at the door and he handed me three tickets for the tournament for my mother, my father, and my sister. So I got to play. <laughs> so we
0: get to the game now.
2: Yeah, the game uh finally we got to the game here. We got Duke coming out on the floor. They um their front line was seven foot center, six eleven forward and a six eight forward. Plus they had an all-American guard named Jeff Mullins, who was six-five, and he was just—he um, was the same size I was, which was our—I was six-five center. And Ted Deacon and Larry Connolly was was the balance of the our front line, and they were both at six-three. Now, if you can visualize that uh, lineup. And Jeff was from here in Lexington. Yeah, Jeff was uh, was a high school. Uh,
0: Actually, a little bit like you. Uh, he came from New York and transferred into Lexington
2: in high school. I'm not sure if that, yeah. Uh, well,
0: Worked I mean, for IBM in New York. Okay. His dad did. Okay.
2: Yeah. But anyway, the as, the as the game went on, you know, we played, we played Duke even, even though we were so small, but the significant aspects of the, of that tournament was, of course, Terry Mobley made the final shot, was the hero of the game, made it in the final seconds. And, um, the the significant part of that I remember. In, oh, no, in, wait uh, a minute, wait
0: a minute. Now, but I'm I was told that during a timeout, somebody else was supposed to take that shot.
2: I was, <laughs> of course, <laughs> I was supposed to take the shot. However, I was pretty well surrounded. <laughs> I don't think it was any secret. So Terry ended up with the ball with the clock running down, and he let it fly in and and it went in. So. He got the hero. Uh, heroes. Uh, you went account. to number
0: one after that.
2: Well, we went, and that's the, that's the other significant thing. One of the other ones was the fact that the next poll that came out um, had Kentucky ranked number one, and we were very proud of that because it was the first time Kentucky had risen to the top of the basketball uh, world since the '58 uh, national champions, and the. Um, the other thing significant in my mind anyway was the fact that with our lineup that year, uh, we, a couple of years later, the 66 team was always called the Rupps Runts. But I, in my mind, I think we were the original Rupps Runts <laughs> because we were smaller than they were. And uh, we played a, such an exciting uh, basketball my senior year. And we just all loved it. We had we only ended up playing twenty six or twenty seven games that year, and believe it or not, ten times, ten times we scored triple digits. Now that's like less than one every once every three games. And if you consider today's game, yes, when the shot clock goes off, um, if we'd have had twenty second shot clock in those days, I don't think it would have ever gone off. And uh, we just had an exciting brand of ball for the fans to see. And maybe compared to, you know, you, you, today's game, you watch a game, sometimes it ends up 69 to 60, 70 to 65. And the shot clock goes off several times. And um, you, you, you during
0: that stretch when you played in that uh, Sugar Bowl tournament, though, you had a, I mean, you were playing almost like every night. You played six games in like 13 days. Yeah. And the last two of them ended up being back to back losses at Tech and Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. Were, were you just dead on your feet?
2: Yeah, and plus we were on the road the whole time. Uh and during that era, Actually the so.
0: the game before the two in New Orleans was actually in Louisville, I believe.
2: I believe it was in um, the Freedom Hall, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we were yeah, we were on the road for for almost all well, all those games, yeah.
0: And then you went on another ten game winning streak. Right, right. And then what happened at the end that year?
2: Um, The end, we just fell flat in the tournament is what happened. I mean, there's no two ways to explain it. Uh, We just had two bad games in a row and ended our season. And uh, that was disappointing for me and for all my teammates. I can't explain it any other way.
0: Let's flip over to your baseball now. We sort of got away from baseball, but your first love has always been baseball.
2: That's right. That's right. I always, always wanted to be, uh, wear those pinstripes for the in uh, Yankee Stadium. So now you're telling
0: us you're a Yankee man.
2: Oh yeah, I was always a Yankee fan. Yeah, definitely.
0: Uh, what about baseball, Kentucky?
2: Yeah, I played played my whole time here. We we didn't have much of a schedule. We had Harry Lancaster, believe it or not, was our coach.
0: There, there used to be tales going around. Maybe you can substantiate one or maybe you can shoot it down is that uh adolph wanted to make sure the guys didn't spend too much time at keeneland so he made harry the baseball coach and said make them play baseball in the spring didn't have to make you play though
2: no no that wasn't the case at all And back in those days the uh, sports at, at kentucky they they were a college sport they weren't big business we had like two three four guys from the basketball team on the baseball team we had a two, three guys from the football team on the baseball team. Just everybody's having fun playing college sports. They weren't there to, to try to get to the NBA and NFL combines in those days. You know, almost like good intermural sports. Yeah, they were college sports. That's what they were. And uh, the, the main thing is you could be earn some scholarship money. That's what that, that would help quite a bit to go to school have a good time playing college sports. What kind
0: of what kind of teams did you play on in Kentucky?
2: Well, we, we because of the weather and because of the schedule uh we didn't uh, I think the most we ever played was maybe 22 24 games for the uh, an entire season schedule. And we tried to get on a bus. There again we we, we got on a bus. <laughs> Uh, and drove down and played games in Georgia and ended up in Florida playing games during the first part of the miserable Springs that we have here sometimes. And then came back when the weather broke a little bit and played the balance of the, of our season up here and, uh, maybe take short trips to no- Knoxville and, uh, and Nashville. But, um, We just, uh, you know, the the sport now, the baseball team over here is enjoying this brand-new stadium, state-of-the-art. I mean, they've got facilities there as good as uh, any minor league baseball team in the country now.
0: Were there pro scouts at your baseball games?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were always there. I I could have signed, uh, which I did uh, after my senior year, uh, a pro contract because I signed both. I signed uh, professional baseball and basketball contracts.
0: Let, let, let's get to those two drafts. There. Well, first of all, as you finish up your senior year on the basketball team, you're now the all-time leading scorer in UK history. Did that mean anything to you at the time?
2: Well, I didn't realize it until after the season was over when they wanted to take my picture with Alex Groza, which who had previously who had previously held, had previously held the uh, the record. Yeah. So that was the first time I'd become aware of that factor.
0: Uh NBA draft. I think you were the number 8 overall draft that year.
2: Well, that this was um this was back in the days when they didn't have a, a, a baseball draft either. So uh most of the scouts uh in both sports were aware that my love was with baseball. So they were reluctant to draft me for basketball because they thought I'd just play baseball. And finally, uh, the the Los Angeles Lakers and the Los Angeles Angels at the time evidently talked to each other and said, "Let let him play both time both sports. We'll we'll uh, we'll draft him and sign him both both of us, and and we'll we'll see how it works out." So they were one of the only two combinations that would have, uh, that agreed, uh, the other teams were afraid. I'd just play one sport and they were they were reluctant to draft me or sign me.
0: So at the end of the day, when did you finally give up the two sports? Cause you well, were several years in baseball.
2: Well, I played for a year and a half, 18 months straight to start out with. I had a baseball season, had an NBA season went right back to spring training. And then after about 18 months with not a day off, it became more of a mental thing than a physical thing. I was kind of getting burned out. So I decided to stay with baseball. So then a couple years later, they started the ABA and I was at the time was with Chicago with the white Sox in Chicago. During September, and the uh, owners of the uh, ABA team in Louisville came to me and said, "Would you consider playing for us this winter?" I said, "No, I, I had enough. I just, I just, I'd rather concentrate on baseball." And um, it just it was it was too much of a mental grind trying to trying to play both sports. Well, what happened was they finally kept badgering me, so I finally gave them a figure I would sign for. And I didn't think they'd take it. So I played my last game up in, uh, with the White Sox in 67, which you alluded to uh, earlier with those pins. And two weeks later, I was in the starting lineup in Louisville for, for the first ABA game after laying now, out.
0: These owners were not John Y. Brown. It was a previous owner.
2: Right? Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. The previous owner. So I played that whole season. Went back to spring training again and started all over <laughs> after that season. Ended. So, uh, and then I stayed with baseball the rest of the way.
0: You, uh, you never lost your roots. Once you came to Lexington, once you got out of baseball, once you got out of basketball, you came back to Lexington for your home. Why?
2: After my playing days? Yes. Well, I had always came back here during the off seasons because my wife's parents lived in Mount Sterling, um, uh, 30 miles away and was, she, she wanted to come back close to them. And we would just rent an apartment here in Lexington during off season.
0: And you met her while you were here at UK.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. We, we were in school together and, uh, um, that, that's the reason I came back here and we just, I always did like Lexington. So there's no sense in moving somewhere else.
0: Now you can tell me about that automobile you had.
2: Oh, that was my senior year in school. My my father finally had a job, where he could afford a few luxuries, and he bought me a car for my senior year, and it was a '63 Chevy, um, stick shift, big engine, glass pack mufflers, and I think it cost like thirty-two hundred dollars, brand new. (laughs) So, and it was, it was a running machine, man. And, uh, I used to, I used to, Pat Riley was a, was a freshman in my senior year. And he used to, he used to use it, uh, every time he'd take us to the, take me to the airport in it. And then he'd use it while we were on road trips. And, um, he, I'd, I'd let him, he was my caddy. He, uh, took my laundry in, picked me up at the airport and had the car washed. And when he when I bet he he doesn't up, do
0: that for anybody anymore, does he? He's probably got a couple of Rolls Royces sitting down there, well, a couple of
2: Bentleys. You know, every time I see him, which isn't too too uh, often these days, I always tell him that, uh, Pat, uh, my car needs washing again. Let's get to it. <laughs> <laughs> so we all laugh about that. But anyway, he told me a funny story though uh, that it should be uh, uh, related here. That uh, he had told me that after driving my car, he finally got one of his own. Uh, in in uh, his junior or senior year, and he told me he he got to he got to drive he really loved driving it. So, one year at the Kentucky Derby, he went to the Kentucky Derby, had the good tickets evidently, and uh, good seats. And uh, he drove up to the um, valet parking, and jumped out like a big shot. He said. <laughs> And uh, threw the keys to the valet and went, went into the derby, spent the afternoon watching the races. And he came back out and he said, that's the last time he ever saw the car. <laughs> he said, he said, he didn't know what happened to it.
1: It disappeared. <laughs>
2: Somebody took it.
1: <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs. Oscar will have more with Cotton in episode 74, and that includes his thoughts on the changes of the game of basketball, practices under Coach Rupp, and the current state of the U.K. basketball program. We'll also get Cotton's thoughts on his former teammates and coaches. All of Oscar's conversations can be found at oscarcombs.com, and you can also find them on your mobile devices. You can subscribe for free through iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Search for at Wildcat News and subscribe. And each episode will be automatically downloaded to your mobile device. And it doesn't cost you a thing. Keep in touch with Oscar on Twitter. You can follow him at Wildcat News. I'm Bo Robinson, thanking you for listening to this episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs. And as always, Go Big Blue.